1: Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb. And as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week? Cade, as well as I can be
0: after the second Oklahoma State football loss in a row. I know you were out
1: of town this weekend at your brother's wedding. Yes. How was that? And how are you? Uh I'm doing great. And it's mostly because of that. It was a great weekend in Kansas City. Uh we got up there Thursday mid afternoon, hung out at Boulevard, you know, went and stopped by some of our favorite spots, had Q39 in the hotel room. Got two young babies. Can't be sitting out at Q39 into the late hours of the evening <laughs> anymore. So watched the uh what was that Thursday night game? It was Buccaneers and I can't remember who else, Giants or Giants and uh 49ers. Watched it on my phone with the lights off as the kids were going to sleep. So, you know, just a classic uh Cade weekend, but yeah, celebrated my brother's wedding and a very eventful wedding. One of the things I'll say is right around the time the ball was kicked off was the moment we got pulled out of the room to get you know, photos and you know, get ready for the ceremony. So I have a lot of things to thank my brother for. But one of them is that I didn't really see a whole lot of this. And so it made for a painful rewatch. But when the results already happened, and you're like, okay. It, it, it changes the way you watch the game a little bit. So it was a great weekend, Dustin. Thank you for asking.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a little on the away games. If you're watching with, you know, like you were not fully invested watching it during the wedding. I was out with some friends watching the game. So, you know, kind of talking and a little uh-huh. bit of that during it. So it's not as painful uh, on an away game when you've got good company around yeah, yeah, yeah. or something to distract you, but yes, on the rewatch and Cade, you know, we talk about how many times we rewatch the game. It feels like we're bragging about it to- at times, but on losses, <laughs> we're definitely not, but with no game to preview this week, cause we are going into the bye weekend and then get K state on Friday night on October 6th. I probably rewatched this one more than any of the other ones. Cause I didn't have anything. <laughs> I've already watched almost all of K state's games. So I was going to save that one. And I was like, I'm just going to go
1: through this game and just punish myself with it. So, so that's why your notes word count was 4,000. That that starts to add up. <laughs> I, I was, I was the wondering. The thread was
0: longer this week yep. on Twitter. Yes, yeah, so and my notes, it's going to take me. If you hear me not talking, it's because I'm scrolling through all this just jumble of my notes.
1: No. Well, Dustin, I mean, we, we might as well get into it. I'll give one last shout out, obviously to my little brother, who's probably kicked up somewhere in the Bahamas with the Pina Colada listening to this podcast. So shout out to the, uh, the newly webs over there, but Dustin, we might as well get right into it. I mean, obviously Oklahoma state loses a, a, I don't even know if it was as close as the score would indicate, especially the second half. It felt like Oklahoma state was, you know, climbing an uphill battle they got close in the end but ultimately couldn't make a a drive down to the end of the game and you know Dustin for me I I think that the storyline is the offense looked capable and I think the defense let you down more so than you would have probably expected the offense was not great by any means really inefficient for most of the game had more explosives than we've seen in the last what feels like 12 games but the defense, you know, failing to not just get off the field, but giving up a lot of chunk plays, some scheme things. So, you know, Dustin, that's the way I kind of walked away from, from my rewatch feeling. Yeah.
0: And you know, final score, I, you mentioned Iowa state 34, Oklahoma state 27. And Kate, if if you want to just hop straight into the offense, I loved your kind of general breakdown there. The first thing that stuck out to me was probably no penalties after we saw the South Alabama game, just the team in general, racking up more penalties than you would like to see. No offensive penalties. So that was great. 409 total yards of offense against an Iowa State defense that has gone had gone 19 games without allowing 400 or more yards. And Oklahoma State comes in and puts up 409 yards of total offense. And I'm not saying it was a great offensive performance, kind of to your point, there was some inefficiency at times. There were some explosives that kind of are making up yeah. for some of the you know, yards per carry, some of the first down yards average, which I know is something we talked about last week. But when you look at it, you go with Alan Bowman at quarterback for the entire game. You give Ollie Gordon a majority of the snaps, I had him at 88% of the total snaps. And then you get 409 yards of total offense. So it's a little frustrating. And I know myself and I believe you as well, Cade, we're pretty wrong about how the record was going to be. I think we both had us at 4-0 yep. after this game. They're 2-2. Two and two, And I'm not trying to use any excuses or anything like that, but man, it would be it would be great to take a time machine back and see what the South Alabama game, what the Iowa State game looked like if you would have gone with one quarterback from the beginning and let him get his feet under him a little bit. Because I know we're going to break Alan Bowman down a little bit, but one of the main things I saw with him was a few of the times when he was bailing out of the pocket. I think it was just because it was the first time he'd really gotten pressured. And you know the last time he was in the game for a long period of time, he got his lungs crushed and his collarbone smashed in half. So who can even blame him for bailing a little early at times?
1: I mean, I I agree with really everything you said there. And and really, you kind of set me up. I was going to mention that. I, I think the thing that I'm most frustrated by after this game is that you didn't really set yourself up as a program for success right now. Like you you very well could have said, Alan Bowman's our quarterback and Ollie Gordon's our running back because that's what this game was. If you went up there with a plan to win this game, that was the plan. So I, I just, you know, for all the talk we've had about the three quarterback system over the last several of weeks, several weeks, I, I understand it less even after a game that Alan Bowman played the whole thing in. And now I, now I have no clue what that was supposed to accomplish. And really Dustin, like, you've you treated it like now we can say this treated it like the preseason right and you lose an opening home game or an opening road game against a pretty bad opponent in which you just looked kind of rusty like the offense looked rusty it looks capable and that's the that's kind of my word is like i i think that they could go you know put 30 up against a kansas state who's a little like, not that much worse defensively, but that they, they've shown an ability to give up some points, unlike Iowa State. Like, you just didn't set yourself up very well to be ready to go in the opener in Big 12 play in Ames, a place that has historically given you trouble. So, you know, Dustin, I just, I continue to question what that whole thing was for.
0: Yeah, it's, and, and I want to get into it a little bit more when we get into Alan Bowman. Okay, a couple of quick notes, just scheme-wise and on some snap counts. No Jake Springfield. He did travel. They announced on the radio before the game that he was he was with the team. He was available if needed. What happened is my understanding is last Wednesday's practice, he re-aggravated that ankle foot injury that he has. So he should be all good to go. I thought he was going to play in this game. You know, we were talking about hearing he was probably going to play. I think if injuries would have happened, they would have thrown him out there but he should be good to go for the K-State game. So no snaps for him. First snaps all season for Cole Birmingham at right tackle due to this. They went with Cole Birmingham, who had been at left tackle, and put him at right. Most snaps for Dalton Cooper this year at left tackle. We saw him get in the mix a little bit in the South Alabama game, but he plays the entire game at left tackle. The fullback position, last game was their least snaps all season. This game was even less. In the most snaps for the tight end position, primarily Joe jo- Josiah Johnson. He was out there for 71% of the total snaps. And then, as I've already mentioned, Ollie Gordon with 88% of the running back snaps. No running back had been over 50% until this point, and he's at 88% now, which, kid, you and I mentioned we at the end of the podcast last week, I actually went back and listened because I was trying to remember what that convo was we had at the end. We both said we thought this would be the game where they pick a quarterback and they go with Ollie Gordon for the majority of the snaps and not not giving us flowers for that. It just was the logical thing to do after, like you said, kind of treating this like the preseason. So any other takeaways you had kind of from the snap counts or how guys were utilized?
1: Well, just how guys were utilized. I, 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 just, I Brennan Presley getting two touches against Iowa State feels like a missed opportunity again. So in the two games you've lost, Brendan Presley has had what a total of five combined touches. Is that right? And he was out there for 84% of the snaps. That's not enough. So you asked me an open-ended question about how guys were utilized. He's the one that it's just like, if he's not touching the ball 10 times, I I don't really understand, you know, that I get why you would use him in motion, but if you never, you know, call a bluff and actually do something with it then it's really not the the most effective form of eye candy and so that that's the one that is starting to you know wear on me a little bit is okay you've done all of this with the quarterbacks with your running backs and arguably the best player on your entire football team has touched the ball five times in the last two games and he's at a very accessible position where really everybody else in the conference is figuring out how to get that position the ball so it's frustrating yeah,
0: no it's a it's a great point about the slot receivers just kind of in general in college football right now they were oklahoma state went under center on six percent of the snaps in comparison they were under center five percent of the time at usa and 14 percent of the time at arizona state i did think when they went under center in this game it felt like they were using it to kind of throw the iowa state defense off i was fine with the six percent i know in the offseason we talked about seeing it more, but especially in this game, when you're behind kind of like the South Alabama game, you kinda have to get out there and pass the ball and move the ball down the field. You know, they had the quick drive at the end of the first half where they need to move the ball quickly. So I, I get it. I'm sure there were could have probably had it at like nine, 10% if you weren't in some of those situations,
1: but I, I didn't really have an issue with that. Did you? I mean, not, not really. I mean, I, yeah, no, not really, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean it's it, it's something
0: we want to see more of, but I think in the last two games, with how the games have played out, I don't know if you can really criticize Casey Dunn well, for not going to it,
1: and again, like we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this, but you had a seventy one yard explosive run that really inflates your like per play average when you're running the football. If you can't run the football out of the eye, like it it kind of defeats most of that purpose, I would think. And so if you're if you're going to it and you're running out of play action, it's like, okay. I mean, I, I'm not really worried about your ability to run the ball out of that set. So, you know, I, I don't blame them for not going to that.
0: Yeah. I did the the pre-snap motion, which is something we criticized from the South Alabama game. Only 23% of the plays with some form of pre-snap motion. They went to it 35%. Of the time against ISU, which is close to, or the, I think they were at forty percent in Arizona State. I'd love to keep it at forty percent or higher. I was good with the thirty-five percent because again, you have to take into account some of those drives where they're trying to move the ball really quickly and get it snapped, like the end of the first half and plays like that. So I appreciated motion going up twelve percent because that was something you and I highly criticized in the South Alabama yeah. game.
1: Well, it was one thing that you've noted most of this, you know, preseason is that you saw a lot of motion with your own eyes and we hadn't seen very much of it now. So it was, it was nice to see it. Yeah. And the,
0: I also noticed and Casey Dunn noted this after the game, we talked about Alan Bowman, maybe a little uncomfortable in the pocket at mm-hmm. times. Did you notice they were actually slide protecting for him and having him roll out on purpose, which I'm sure I saw on Twitter and, uh, and some people on message boards and things mm-hmm. being like, Bowman left the pocket early so many times. (laughs) Quite a few of those were on a true, I I call it turn back protection. You'll hear people refer to it as hinge. It's technically like a form of slide protection. But when I think of slide protection, I think of a little bit different than that. They're truly, when the ball is snapped, the whole offensive line is basically forming a wall and a tight end or running back is lead blocking for Bowman on a rollout, just in case anybody kind of attacks him before he's able to get rid of the ball. So that those were designed. Quite a few of those. Now, now Bowman did leave the pocket early several times as well, but a lot of these rollouts were designed. So please remember that when you're kind of critiquing some of the offense yeah, in that, in that
1: it's aspect. A, it's a great point. It's also not the first time they've done it. They showed a, a little glimpse of this in his opening series against Arizona State. I think on his first two snaps, they moved the pocket for him, and you he open likes Twitter going on the run. Clearly, is what Casey Dunn said. Clearly. I mean, he's accurate. He, he, especially like falling the wrong way. He's, it's just actually pretty impressive. I wish he would stand a little taller, step up. I I don't think I ever saw him step into the pocket. So I think you have to, like when you start talking about, you know, well, they're sliding the pocket, like that's true, but he also doesn't seem to want to step up into it and climb the pocket, which as you mentioned, his injuries earlier, it's hard to blame him with this being like, the third quarter he's played all season.
0: Yeah. I wanted to get your take too. We talked about first down average yards gained how it was bad against South Alabama. You look at the chart I put out and you see 5.2, which is great. 5.2 yards gained on first down is great. And then you look at second down average distance to go 8.7. Actually, I had someone asked me about this on Twitter. The reason why that math doesn't work out is because there were 5 plays on first down that went for first downs. Mm. And one of those was the 75 yard run from Ollie, which greatly inflates that average yards gained. If you take that away from, I believe it was Oklahoma state had, I think 31 first down plays. So if you take the five plays that went for first downs away, that's 26 plays. They average like 1.2 yards per play on those 26 on first down. Mm. So still need more on first down. I will say they threw it a lot late in the game on first down and an incompletion is obviously zero yards. So that played into it a little bit, but I still want to see more from them. Consist. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a great call out by you consistency and consistency on first down would be huge. They don't need to get five yards every play, but you'd like to see it closer to three, three and a half, four would be amazing. I just think you're not going to be able to win many games when you're playing behind the chains on second and third down consistently.
1: It's like one of the oldest facts of, you know, organized football is if you're behind the chains, you're in a tough spot. And Oklahoma State's offense, as limited as it already is, when you're second and ten, second and nine, second and twelve in some situations, I mean it it really puts a stress on not only your quarterback, but your receivers that seem to struggle getting separation against uh pretty solid Iowa state secondary this week. Again, like it, it. Doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And then personnel grouping wise kind of looked like an Oklahoma state game from last year. When you're looking at personnel groupings, 68%, 11 personnel, that's one running back, one tight end with three receivers out there. 68% of the time was the most all season. And then the second most 10 personnel, 21%. So a majority of their plays were 10 or 11 P, which is what we saw a lot from them last year. Last season, the only difference was they mixed in more kind of 12 personnel. But again, I was counting the Cowboy back as a tight end. So this time you see 20, 21, 12, all kind of mixed in there. And then okay, before we get into the offensive line, I wanted to bring up to you, I, we talked to you a little bit about this um, off the air. So in the middle of the third quarter, Oklahoma State gets the ball it deep in their own territory. They get the ball on the 10-yard line and they run the ball three yep. straight times with with no... Th- this is where I think the game changed. Oklahoma State's down three at this point. It's 20-17. to 17. Three straight runs. All three of the plays, the wide receivers are instantly going out to block and there's no mesh read towards any receiver that even looks like they're running a route. So that takes out... Any post snap RPO. Now, there could have been an, an audible check for a pre snap RPO read, which we've talked about on here. If you see something you like, but no post. So, those are all three true run plays. They gain six yards. So, they're punting from the 16 yard line. They bring out Hudson Cack, Cock, who kicked every single punt in this game. And my understanding from the radio broadcast is Oklahoma State did this. Because they wanted the kind of wobbly knuckle, hard to catch punt for Jalen Null because he's such a good return man. Mm-hmm. But when you're kicking from your own 16, I feel like you need to put the big leg, six foot five punter out there in West Paul. They did not do that. Hudson Cock kicked it to the Oklahoma State 47 yard line. Iowa State proceeded to go two plays for 47 yards yeah. for a touchdown. And Oklahoma State, who had just forced Iowa state to punt and got the ball back down three in the middle of the third quarter. I think that series lost them the game. And and I hate to do, you know, I I normally don't do stuff like that, but the momentum was shifting in Oklahoma state's favor. They had, they were coming off Well, it was in Iowa state's favor, but they were coming off the interception. They had stopped them, gotten the ball back kind of, you know, righted the ship. And then they run the ball three straight times use their kind of placement punter. And even if Iowa state doesn't score on that drive, they're at the 47. There's a very high percentage chance they kick a field goal. Or if not, they're just pinning Oklahoma state down deep in their territory. Again, I I hate that. You know, I hate just like blatantly criticizing the coaching staff and scheme wise without kind of backing things up. That might've been one of the worst called series Hmm. I've seen of this season
1: so far. I mean, it, it's strong words coming from you, but I think they're absolutely fair. I mean, it felt like as conservative as you could possibly. I mean, it, it is as conservative as you could possibly get in that scenario. And really, you can go on a 90-yard drive. <laughs> T, I, we were watching Multiview uh, in the uh, Groom Suite, and there are 90-yard drives all over the place in the morning. So it's it does feel like you just basically conceded a possession and instead of trying to flip the field, you're trying for a fluky, you know, muffed punt to get the ball back close to midfield. It does seem like a, a, a poor thought process there.
0: I mean, and you stopped them after the interception,
1: right? So
0: you you could have gotten the ball back and I'm not saying you drive down and score, which I get your point as well, but one first down and then boot it with Paul. And at least I, I get that Noah's a great return man, but at least then he's catching the ball in the other 20, other 30. And if, if you, you're taking a chance of him returning it, but if he doesn't, right. then they have to go on a 70, 80 yard drive instead of 47 yards and probably 17 yards to kick a field goal. So it that was a tough series. And I get it, you're coming off the interception, but it almost shows that you were terrified Bowman was going to do it again. Yeah, 100%. And, and don't really have the confidence in your quarterback.
1: Yeah, and I I agree with you. I'm not saying that Oklahoma State would have gone down and scored, but you you can do enough to flip the field position battle. And Dustin, I, I don't have the, the average starting field positions in front of me, but it felt like Oklahoma State was in that, scenario for quite some time during the game where they were back on their own side of the field, having to go quite a ways. And so, yeah, I mean, it it's, you know, I see it from Mike Gundy's perspective. If you can avoid it, you'd like to run it, pick up a first down and do exactly that. But if you can't pick up, you know, 10 yards on three tries, well, then you're, you're in a bad spot anyway. That's probably what he would say. If, if you asked him that, if you can't run the ball, for 10 yards on three tries, that's your fault anyway. And you're probably gonna have a bad day. So it's frustrating. Yeah.
0: And uh, only twenty-five percent of Oklahoma State's plays were ran from Iowa State side of the field, just to kind of go along with your field mm-hmm. position point there. So it's a great point. That that's was a gut I really feel. Happened.
1: I didn't even track that. So no,
0: no, that's great. That's you've got a great gut feeling. Great gut. So let's talk offensive line, and then we can kind of get back to the run game scheme and some of the passing game scheme as we move through running backs receivers quarterbacks and everything like that Okay, hey, the op- the offensive line i actually thought the pass protection was better in this game but i don't know how much that's really saying because it was really bad against south alabama pff has alan bowman is under pressure on 38 percent of his throws which is a lot but i Think that's getting skewed a little bit from the rollouts, and you know that that kind of pressure coming when he leaves the pocket, because I, I felt like he did a pretty, or the offensive line did a decent job on the day. Now I'm not saying they were good, but I'm tr- I'm saying comparatively to what they have been, I thought Dalton Cooper at right tackle, or at left tackle, was a huge improvement. Absolutely, from what we've seen from Cole Birmingham on that side. I thought just to kind of start with Cole, I thought he struggled a little bit, you know, first, first play of the game. He's not able to get up to the backside linebacker. And that's why that first run play gets busted. Second play. He can't get to his block. Another reason why that, that play was busted on the dart play, which is the backside tackle pull that he got to pull. It wasn't really his fault. Cause I think Preston Wilson allowed too much penetration but it wasn't a great pull. I thought he missed a couple times in pass pro. There was one late where Bowman had to get hurried. I didn't think he was bad in this game. I thought it was much better from the right side, but I still think when Springfield gets back, yeah. you probably have to go with him. Now, now, Cole did some good things in the run game. It's just he's having trouble getting up to the second level and he's having trouble with the speed, but my understanding is he kind of re-aggravated that injury in fall camp and oh, wow. so he's having a lot of trouble getting back into full conditioning shape cuz he keeps hurting himself. And and I so I don't think it's I I think this is really a lot to do with the injury and not so much his talent out there on the field.
1: Yeah, that's that's tough and I I think it I mean we know it's probably not talent because he he started at left tackle for you in a Big 12 title uh, run. So I I think it's you know, I think a lot of people would agree it's not talent. I, I, I think it's well on record now that that he's struggling to get back, you know, his legs underneath him, so to speak. So, I, I will say the long run from Ollie Gordon was the best I've seen that left side of the offensive line block all season. I mean, it was literally little bit, like the one a little play bit of a hold
0: from Cooper, but
1: I love it still. Hey, okay, <laughs> we, you, you, they don't always get called, and if you're doing it. <laughs> And you're not getting called, you're doing it right. So yes, yeah, I absolutely. Agree. But it it was as well blocked as I, I've seen all year. So yeah. And and
0: Kate, this game, you know, we we didn't mention in the scheme portion because I wanted to talk about it in the offensive line portion, but only 52% zone. Oh, so wow. that's including the design quarterback runs, the scrambles in there. But we saw three ca- or five total counter runs. We saw ISO, three ISO runs, and we saw the quick pitch. So of the, what was it total? I think it was 18 carries from Gordon and two from Nixon. So 20 total running back carries. And we saw five gap scheme, one quick pitch and three ISO. That's, that's getting to the point where, where we kind of thought it would be, I think going into the season, you're starting to see zone kind of being in that 50, 60% in the mixing in gap and then the man blocking ISO scheme to take up the other kind of 40% there. So I actually liked what I saw. We, we hadn't seen dart yet this year, which is something I saw in right. practice where the backside tackle pulls. I liked that. We saw GH counter again. You know, I don't think we'd actually seen power outside of play action where the backside guard pulls and we saw it on Bowman's run and then we saw it on a Nixon run which I know we'll talk about when we get to Nixon because I know you had some takes on that run but I I liked the run game scheme in this game the inside zone they knew Iowa State was going to run with those three down linemen even though they showed some even front yeah. as well and they were able to kind of seal that defensive line in and Ollie was able to bust the, on those 75 yard run that was inside zone and he busted it to the perimeter. He did it again on a 12 yard run. There was like a seven yard run where he got shoelace tackled by TJ Tampa. And I think if he gets out of that tackle, it's probably another 71 yard run. So there was three or four inside zone runs. I got busted to the outside and I love the vision there from Ollie. And I love the way the offensive line blocked that. And it's, that's a scheme thing that done, and Gundy saw in film that they took advantage
1: of. Yeah. And it felt like for the first time that on the runs that they didn't pop, that they were one block away, you know, like it's, you can see it developing and it's close. And if they just get there, you, you could have had a couple more on your hands and it doesn't have to be 70 yards. We'll take 20 yard runs all day long, but, you know, I I felt like after watching it, one Ollie clearly is the fit in this scheme. I mean, I I think that the counter and the dart and the ISO they're they're made they are made for a running back like that, and he's got more top end speed than I think we've been able to see yet. So, I just I expect to see this continue to get better. I think what's you know I get why they held this close to the vest, but you would have liked to have three games of real live reps to to teach off of before you have Kansas State come to town who, who defends the run pretty well. You got a full, you know, bye week to get ready for that. But it just goes back to some of my own frustrations with this is, you know, I, I think that we may look up in November and things look better. Like they just look better than they did yeah. early on.
0: Kate, that's such a great point. And I, and I agree with you on the fact that I understand why you don't want to give Ollie a million carries going in to conference play, but I, I think he definitely could have gotten more. And why I say it's such a great point by you is because I thought Ollie's vision, I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more, but I had a point now that we're moving on to Jason Brooks about one specific play. I thought Ollie's vision was not Hundred percent great in this game. I thought he missed more than I would like to see, like for him to see. Even though I just complimented his vision on the inside zone breaking it outside, and I think that's because not live game reps. You, I, I you, said they haven't run dart at all this year in a game, from my count, and unless I'm missing one from memory, but I didn't. I don't have them with a dart run backside tackle pull. And on the third play of the game, you know, so anyway, for Jason Brooks, I thought he had a nice block on the first play, third play of the game, Jason Brooks doesn't hold his block very well, but Ollie needs to see the hole in between Cooper's pull and Birmingham seal. If he veers right, which he does it later in the game on a zone run, where there's a cut kind of a, it's not even really a cut back. It's just a cut through that tackle spot. So I know he can make I know he can physically make it cuz he does it later in the game. But man, if he does it on that third play of the game, he probably gets the first down or he's getting tackled at the marker and then you got a whole new set series and you're not punting three and out after yeah. that first series. It, it, not, i would say Jason Brooks missed the block, but if Ali hits that hole and his aiming point was right that's where you're supposed to aim off the back hip, off the butt of that guard stealing, blocking down. But if he would have run that play in games, he would know that sometimes you can pop it to the outside. And I thought that was something that you you only can get from running it in games with experience.
1: I think we've seen this played out before. Like Jalen Warren was more effective late in that year with that cutback on the inside zone plays because he had seen it so many times and he knew when to look for it. And again, like you you make a great point there that it doesn't just involve the offensive line and holding things close to the vest, the running backs are the ones running behind it. And we've seen this. I mean, I, I, again, I don't have a, a data point to point to, but if you go back and watch that 2021 season and the way it developed that Texas game where they're four and one or whatever their record is five and one, whatever, That was the first time you really saw Oklahoma State exploit that cutback lane because they had four games of film running the same thing. And then all of a sudden it becomes a staple of your offense and and you've got a running back who knows to look for it. I think Ollie Gordon has shown me like I I have totally changed my tune on him. I did I wasn't blown away early in the season, still not blown away yet, but I mean he's he's clearly got. Almost as much as you could expect from a true sophomore running back at this level.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. He's more criticizing. I'm criticizing his vision, but he hasn't played very many snaps. (laughs) You're right. Right. Like I'm criticizing him because that's what I'm seeing on film. But I'm not saying it's because like he's a bad running back. It's because of the reps. So it's a little frustrating. Again, kind of going back to the quarterback discussion. And I get the other side of the argument as well, but it's definitely frustrating to see. Yep. And, you know, maybe that's not why. Maybe we see that Ollie in the future just isn't the best vision running right. back, which I think right. is not true. It's just tough to see that and be able to kind of blame it on them not getting him snapped. So totally it, it's a little frustrating. But back to Jason Brooks, he this was more of a game like I saw from kind of at the beginning of the season where he had some really good blocks at times and then whiffed at times. I think in this game, though, he actually blocked a little better than that UCA game, and so I'm fine with it. I know we talked about maybe moving some people around. I'm fine with keeping Brooks out there for another game after this game and not rotating him with Birmingham or rotating him with a younger guy. I thought he was okay in this game. He had a nice block on one of those 12-yard runs late in the game. On the second dart run, he didn't block anybody, which was tough. Then on the ISO run on third and one where Ollie gets the first down, it's the ISOs run to his side and he seals off. So Josiah Johnson can lead block through the hole. He ends up pancaking that guy. And then on the power run that Nixon had, he doesn't hold that block, but I thought it was a good initial block. But then you have a play like Bowman's TD where he's supposed to pull on power. And it looks like Brooks does a bad job there. But Stewart, Quentin Stewart, my guy, gets blown <laughs> completely backwards, and Brooks gets knocked off his pull path. So you've got to remember some of that too when you're looking at these linemen. You know, especially when they're pulling. If they don't get there, sometimes you got to watch what happened. You know, if there was so much penetration, that there's nowhere for them to run. Then it's not on the pulling lineman's fault. So I thought Brooks was up and down, but overall, I thought it was an improvement from a pretty terrible last couple performances from him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that. I, I think a great breakdown from you better, probably not as good as you're wanting, especially now that you've seen some real improvement on the left side with your tackle with Dalton Cooper, like that was kind of the spark you were looking for over there. Now, I mean, the spotlight's a little bit on Jason Brooks, so you, I, I'm i curious to see what he looks like against Kansas State, where you're going to have basically two full weeks of practice before you see anything where like Dalton Cooper is the guy right next to him. This should look better. And if it doesn't, it it might be Brooks fault completely.
0: Yeah. And then Materko gets out there for kind of similar amount of snaps as he did the game before. And I I thought he looked almost exactly the same. He's, he's never really popping like Brooks is sometimes in a good or bad way, but he does have those misses. So I think you still have the higher upside with Brooks at this point. If you were going to switch Brooks out, I would probably either go with Birmingham or maybe like a Davis Dotson, or, you know, we've heard Austin Kowecki, even though I think he might be a little undersized for guard. Maybe I I would want to give someone new some run over Maturko. I'm fine with Maturko being a backup guard, but if you're going to sub out Brooks for the entirety of the game, I would probably want to give a younger guy a shot there. So moving on from those two, Joe Maholsky. Cade, we talked about the high snaps. Again, they are... They were truly high this game. I don't think that's on Bowman's what we said. He may have a little bit of T-Rex arm syndrome. I don't think these were on him. and It's hard to kind of talk about the impact that that has on the game and explain it without kind of showing it on video, but especially on any play that has a pass tag and run tag on it with an RPO. That's messing up the timing of the receiver, the running back, the quarterback, the offensive line who can't go more than three yards downfield. The high snaps are
1: killer. And I want to say Joe Maholsky, I think I counted six. Yeah. By the time the ball is in your hand, you've basic and you're like, you're now set on the field. You've basically lost half to three quarters of a second. That is an eternity when, when thinking about the lifespan of a play, which lasts like, what, th- three seconds in this quick, you know, get it out offense that Oklahoma State's been running? Like, it's a huge deal. It is absolutely yeah. a big deal. And it, it it goes back to last season. This was something I think we talked about. I think we talked about Joe Mahalski and the high snaps. Like, it is a problem. And I think, you
0: know, Sinners are very hard position. When you're going up against a good defense like Iowa State. You're calling out a lot of things, especially with the fact that Iowa State. I've mentioned it; they're running some even front now. They haven't shown a ton of that on film, so I'm sure he's calling out a bunch of stuff. But you got to get the snap back there quicker. A couple times Bowman made catches One-handed. that were pretty incredible. Yeah, and like two fingers. Them, fingers. I only counted high snaps. There were a couple that were like off to the side that he was grabbing, so it, it was tough. That's that really hurt them on on several plays. And and I know I'm only talking about six plays. But if you have six plays that get messed up because of timing, that you know that's six plays where you could
1: have gained yards. And I, well, I your timing is messed up but... at the start. It's not even like a right. receiver messed up on a on a route or anything like that. Like you're kind of doomed from the start.
0: I thought overall though, Maholsky was okay in this game. He struggled a few times with the straight up nose guard, the Zero Tech nose. He allowed too much penetration. I know on that second dart run. The fourth play of the game, though, he does a great job of sealing the nose. Then he does a good job on the ISO. Then he struggles again later in the game with the nose. Misses a block. So it was kind of up and down for him. I didn't think he played bad, but I thought he played much better earlier in the season than this game. I didn't think it was terrible. Preston Wilson, I, I thought he was pretty good again. He, get, he still can't, We've talked about this even going back to last year. He gets blown back off the ball quite a bit on some pass plays because the quarterback's able to kind of see it change his kind of launch angle from where he's throwing the football in the pocket. It doesn't end up being an issue. So you can't really mark it as like a miss on Wilson. And then he does good on some run plays. So I would overall grade Wilson had a pretty good game, but then you watch, you go back and watch the film and he's getting blown backwards, but it's not affecting the play. So it's a little, it's a little kind of hard to be like, man, he played awesome when that happens not consistently, but multiple times during the game. But I thought overall he
1: was fine. Well, I mean, it's a little bit like getting ran over but credited with the tackle. Like if you got trucked, right. but you still wrapped up and brought the guy down, like that's a tackle in the stat sheet. So
0: he's he's by far, I think, the best guard that we've yeah. seen this year getting up to the second level. He did that multiple times in this game coming off the double team with Maholski and getting up to the second level. A couple of times when they kind of slanted the offensive line and he was able to get like kind of a free shot on the nose. He did that a couple of times and did and looked because uh, I'm not saying he's not strong because at times he looks extremely strong. So I, I thought he I thought he was good. I thought he was probably one of the better linemen along with Cooper, who we talked about a little bit. I thought Cooper was probably the best lineman in this game. He was manhandling that edge defender on run plays, kind of moving him wherever he wanted to. I talked about sealing him inside on inside zone, pushing him out. He even, I thought, did pretty well with the speed. There were a couple times that he got lost, but he, I have nice block, great block, nice block, great block. Four different times for Cooper going through my notes. Yeah. I thought maybe one of the best games of any lineman so far. Now. It was not a flawless game and it's, you know, I'm comparing it to some pretty bad performances this year, but I thought maybe one of the best games of the season. Am I wrong there?
1: No, I, I don't think you are. I, I, it was apparent to me, even in the plays I saw live, like, okay, left side's better. Dalton Cooper's over there having a good game. And when I rewatched it, it was a hundred percent that. So
0: I would agree with you. Now, one thing I will say, Cade, before we move to running backs, I said this on the preview pod. Iowa State's defensive line is not anywhere near as good as it was last year with guys like MJ Anderson and Will McDonald. And I think they may, we may even see as they get into Big 12 play that the defensive backs are what's making this be a good defense. And if they don't get Jerry Vaughn back fully, I know he played in this game, but he's been dealing with some injuries. And I think he got banged up in this game as well. If they don't get him back fully and they don't have him in their linebacker core, I think you could see this defense get exposed in some games this season. Now, I'm not saying they're bad. I think they're a really good defense. I think John Heacock is a great Haycock is a great defensive coordinator. Matt Campbell obviously knows the defensive game as well. But I don't want to give it's almost like I don't want to give the Oklahoma State offensive line too much credit because I thought we were pretty nice in that breakdown. Because I don't think Iowa State's defensive line is as good
1: as their stats may look to this point in the season and, and and I think they just they don't have the dudes they once had up there I mean will McDonald and um got the other kid that was up there MJ last Anderson thank you MJ Anderson um both of those guys they, they don't have they don't have a guy like that so I think it's it's apparent shout out though to Dom Orange
0: and JR Singleton they looked pretty good at times in this game so I I did want to shout those guys out after bashing Iowa State. Yeah, very nice of you. Running backs. So excluding the one sack, Oklahoma State rushed for 6.4 yards per carry. Looking because that sack was a negative 17 yard sack. So looking at just the running backs, they rushed for 6.3, but excluding Ollie's 71 yard run, they rushed for 2.8. Yeah. So it's it's a little misleading. And I hate taking out the big run, but I feel like you almost kind of have to to talk about the game now the one thing i did want to add to that which you noted at the beginning with the explosive plays they did have four rushes go over 10 yards I haven't looked back at last season, but I can't remember a game where Oklahoma State last season had four rushes go over 10 yards. Now that's two. That from Spencer season.
1: Sanders. Now that's two because I think they had that against Arizona State as well. So, yeah, I mean, I guess my Gundy was correct in that they are better up there. They're just still not they're still not very good uh, yeah. for the majority of the game.
0: Yeah, so real quick, Cade, before we get into full Ollie breakdown, and we talked about him a little bit already, so we won't go too much longer on him. Elijah Collins only played three snaps. They were all three in a row and they were right after Ollie had kind of a long run and he ended it instead of kind of rearing into the outside. He just took on the safety and the linebacker head on. Yep. So I think he might've got been a little dinged he up. Came he off came off the right field a little
1: gimpy on that yeah. series.
0: So Collins comes in, plays those three plays, and then we don't see him again. I don't want to complain obviously, because you and I wanted more Ollie Gordon, and I loved the amount of carries. And it seems like, from what I've heard from Robert Allen on the radio this week, that the game plan was feed Ollie early, and that is what they did. I'm a little confused, though, why Collins didn't really get any run at all. Still, I mean, Nixon only got three more carries than Collins, and I, I liked that Nixon was in on the pass fight that he scored on. It's just, it felt a little weird that Collins led the team in carries and then got 4% of the snaps. Did you, any concern on that? And we won't stay on Collins because he barely played, but I just kind of wanted to ask you that
1: question. And do you see that continuing going forward? Well, I mean, the fact that you only ran 20 designed runs in this game, I think less speaks to your ability to, or your appetite to distribute the ball and more to your inability. Like that you probably want to run more plays and you probably want to run the ball more. Like I would think that most of those extra carries would have been split up amongst, you know, Elijah and Jaden. Like, I just think it's their inability to run the ball, you know, down the, down the field, sustain a drive on the ground. I mean, they're just not doing that. So it's, it's probably, you know, a little bit of that, but additionally, I mean, Ollie Gordon, I mean, at some point you just got to give the guy the football and I'm glad they did that.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's, and I think those are good points. I just did, I wanted to mention it because you and I I have been pretty
1: high on Collins saying
0: he's the best running back, one of the best running back twos in the conference, probably. And then he gets three snaps. So Nixon had two carries for five yards. Man, his game was a roller coaster ride. It, the motion. So Bowman and Casey Dunn both said they saw on film that if they motion Nixon out when they were in that kind of tight bunch formation with the receivers near, near the tackles, that a linebacker might follow him out there. They got that look. May have been one of the best passes besides the Gunner Gundy deep ball to, I think, Bray. One of the best passes of the season. It might have even been this equal comparison to that pass. To Nixon, he scores. Awesome. Great catch from a guy who we've seen drop passes, and even this year, Bobble, on that angle route, that cowboy route that we talked about earlier in the year, so great stuff from him there. Then you see him whipping pass pro, and Bowman almost gets sacked and sacked. And that was on one of the deep balls, so Bowman has to let the ball go early and sails high. Then he has a nice pickup in pass pro a couple of plays later. Then he gets the check down, has one guy to beat and slips. Which I can't fault him for slipping. A bunch of guys were slipping. Apparently, the grass wasn't even wet, Wet, Cade. It was just the highness of that type of grass. It was it just was brutal. hard to run on. Yeah. So, slips there. Then on the power run, which we've talked about with Brooks, I'm not saying Brooks held his block for a very long time, but if Ollie or Collins gets the ball on that play, they're at least getting seven yards. Yeah. If Nixon hits the hole there, he could have been gone. Or, or, I mean, he probably would have gotten... Caught at you know 10 yards downfield because that was a little bit of a jumble there. But he hesitates and you can see it. He kind of chops his feet, and you want to be patient, but if there's a hole, you have to go, especially a guy with his type of acceleration and speed. So I I'm sure, you know, with kind of how critical we've been of him, you see the touchdown and you're like, man, we're gonna have to go in there and say he had a great game, but he didn't. He really yeah. didn't. I mean,
1: the the and play.
0: I'm fine. And Kate, okay, sorry. I know I'm just rambling on, but what I wanted to leave before I threw it back to you, I'm fine with him at eight to 10% of the snaps. Yeah. And I'm fine with how they used him in this game, but I don't think it should be anymore. And if,
1: if they are going to increase him and not play Collins at all, I'll be very confused by that. Well, how they used him is what I I said after last week's game that he's basically, you know, I, I think I even said word for word, you've got to just split him out more. Can you put him out there and just treat him like a receiver? I know they motioned him. It's not necessarily like lining up as a receiver, but they are doing that. And I, I think that's probably the best situation for him because the play that he ran into Josiah Johnson's back on in, in the Twitter thread, it it's almost infuriating it's not like it was perfectly blocked not a, like Oklahoma State's not going to do that very often but the hole is there and instead of putting that left foot in the ground and hitting that hole something a Jalen Warren would have done probably turn it into a 30-yard gain maybe a touchdown with with Jaden Nixon's speed you run right into the back of your blocker who really wasn't in the play if you just take the hole it's like you just it, it comes back to this, you know, issue we've, we've talked about with him that that left to rights, just not really there. And what does he score on Dustin? A straight go. <laughs> like, I think it's just, I think, we, I think we're dead on on this one.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't want them to not use Nixon at all. I think he does some things really well. You saw him score a huge touchdown, great catch. Great. Just to kind of keep going full speed. I just, I know you can't not ever hand it off to him, or teams will catch on to that. I just think right. giving him carries and not giving Collins carries is a is not my favorite situation. Got Got to go into wanna, the
1: two back set. I mean, we we gotta yeah. we gotta break that out.
0: Don't want to stay on him for too long, just because only six snaps. So wanted to talk about that with you, Ollie. I love his quotes. He kind of reiterating what we talked about earlier said getting him the ball early kind of helped him figure out the defense, which getting him the ball more in games leading up to it might have helped him figure out some of that stuff as well. I know he's talking about Iowa State specifically, but said he got a little tired on that long run. That 71-yard run was Oklahoma State's longest run since Jalen Warren's 75-yard run against Boise State. And he said he felt – he said he got asked about kind of the one quarterback situation, and he said his kind of takeaway from it was he felt more comfortable – throughout the game, having one quarterback. So wanted to hit, hit a couple of those quotes. His career high, 18 rushes. His second run of the game, you know, I talked about him making a bad cut there on that dart. Or sorry, on the uh, third run of the game, that first dart run. But then, you know, the fourth play of the game was the one I talked about where Tampa if he can break that tackle from the cornerback he might have been gone again and it was a great cut by him his bouncing of the inside zone to the outside was such a smart move on his part thought he had a great block on Allen Bowman's touchdown where he kind of led yeah. block for Bowman out there thought he passed pro great he did have two negative runs in this game so he broke his streak of no negative runs i was hoping that would go for longer one of them was actually a bad i think cut back idea from him birmingham lost the block But it was a mid-zone, outside-zone type of perimeter stretch run. And if Ollie just keeps going to the perimeter, he probably gains like four yards, three, four yards. And it was on first down. So I didn't love the cut back there. But other than that, like I'm saying, there was a couple of times he got brought down by a leg tackle. But a couple of times he broke out of it. I thought he did great as a check down. Overall, great game from Ollie. The things I'm criticizing him on are things that I think he can continue to improve upon with experience. I would probably say one of the best individual performances
1: by an Oklahoma State player on offense this season. A 100% agree. His best game as a Cowboy, too. I mean, obviously, he has not seen that level of volume or anything really close to that. So to see him take, you know, necessarily full advantage of it, but really make several plays in this game was was pretty good to see. I just think he needs more time. I I said it earlier. I think he needs a chance. And, you know, it may not come against the Kansas State, but it might come against a Kansas that does not defend the run. Well, Um, you know, if Oklahoma State can impose their will and, you know, kill some clock in a game that Kansas doesn't want to do that 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 may be where you start to see what Ollie Gordon can actually do for you when the matchup really sets up well in your favor. But, you know, right now I just I just don't think Iowa State was, you know, a team that was, you know, exploitable enough on the ground for him to routinely rattle off 10, 15, 18 chunk play runs like we're used to seeing.
0: Yeah, I agree. Kate, I, I see we kind of move on to the passing game and we kind of talk quarterbacks and – Quarterback, actually, this game for the first time, and wide receivers together there mix the tight ends in, but through the air, they they love that mesh concept. Instead, so, and this time it wasn't that mesh arrow with the running back going out to the flat; it was a mesh sit. So the mesh happens with the two crossers, almost slapping hands, running by each other, and then against Iowa State zone coverage, you have another receiver, either the X or the Z. We saw both of them do it kind of come back behind them in a sit route. Once the defense opens up and follows those two crossers, the passing lane is there for Bowman to make the throw. And I thought Bowman did a great job moving the defense with his eyes every single time before he made that throw. They also hit Nixon off the mesh concept, except that one, he's just running a go route off of it. There was play action. We saw some hitch RPO mixed in. And then, you know, obviously some of the vertical stuff that we've seen from Oklahoma state at times, Overall, Alan Bowman, 23 of 48. That's a 48% completion percentage. Not great for 278 yards, two TDs, and two interceptions. I had him with three turnover-worthy plays, so add the two interceptions. And then there was yeah. one, I think it was yeah. actually the first pass play that he threw, and uh, Bo Freeler almost picked it off. I think he had dribbling. He just threw it a little too yep. late yep, and off his back foot. And I can't really blame that one on pressure because he had a throwing lane. Yeah. But overall, Cade, I definitely don't think from Bowman's performance, you decide to go in a different direction after this game. I thought he was good enough. I thought the way that he's able to kind of progress through, his average time to throw was 3.11 seconds. That's so long for a guy who only got sacked one time. Right. Like normal's 2.7 fast is like 2.1, 3.11. Wow. So he... He was going through his progressions. He was trying to find guys. He was throwing it away if stuff wasn't there. I can't even really count that last interception. We can get into that more in a little bit because he's trying to make a play on fourth down. I thought overall he was not great, not bad, maybe a maybe average, maybe a little above average, maybe like a C plus, B minus, probably more like a C plus. But I, I definitely think with his first full game in forever, getting out there against Iowa state on the road, a against a really
1: good secondary. I thought he performed pretty much how I thought he would. Yeah. I, I think the word to me, like he, he represents most of what I felt about the offense in this game is capable. Like I do think he, he's got a big arm, but you know, he, he missed a, a walk-in touchdown to Dejon Stribling where he had him on the go, made the right read and threw it, out into really kind of the boundary for really no reason. Like, like Dijon had a straight, you know, path to the goal line and he threw it out kind of over his back shoulder. Didn't have to. And that was a poor throw. Like we're used to seeing Spencer Sanders, Mason Rudolph, Taylor Cornelius, uh, Clint shelf. Those guys hit those throws routinely. That was one that you would have liked to have back because it was early on in that game. I know that they end up scoring anyway, I think on the next drive it makes it seven nothing. But you could have, you know, put the last one behind you that Bo Fre- Freeler almost picked off, and come back with a a hit down the field that didn't take place till much later in the game. So I, I thought that Bowman, you know, I think the stat line says it. Like this is one where I think the stat line tells you a lot. Twenty three of forty eight, two seventy eight. I think is the number. That is inefficient, but. Explosive at times, and that's that's what I think Alan Bowman gives you. And frankly, it's kind of what we saw against Arizona State when he played. It's a little bit of what we almost saw against South Alabama. You know, if Jaden Bray doesn't drop that pass, it's a walk in touchdown. But the other three drives were kind of a a mess. I I just I worry that we have not. I mean, I, I don't worry. I know for a fact that the reason that a reason they're struggling. Is because they have not had enough time together as a unit. I mean, he is a transfer quarterback working with a transfer primary wide receiver. One, they needed these reps that they're not that they don't have yet, and I, I think the lights going to turn on, but I don't know when it's going to happen, and it may be too, be too late. Yeah, and
0: you know we're going from he's th- he threw it nine times, twenty plus yards downfield, and he only completed three of them. He's yeah, got to get amazing stat
1: from you in the breakdown, and, and like
0: you mentioned there were a couple, that one was bad, but there are two of them deep where they're like at Shribling's fingertips. Right. And it's right, just so close. Just barely off. And he can, if he connects on two of those, you know, th- those are game changing throws downfield. Yep. He, I mean, he hasn't even thrown any balls, 20 plus yards downfield. I think he had two attempts, 20 plus yards downfield before this game, two or three. I, I can't I actually, it was trying to go back to that stat that I had and I couldn't find it pulled up, but, that's not enough reps in no. game and he no. hasn't played in forever. And I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm blaming the coaching staff for the three QB rotation. You know what? It. And it, it's just, it. I think it'll get better as the season goes on and maybe it doesn't. And I'll, I'll be happy to say I'm wrong, I'm wrong about the OSU's record to this point. Fine saying that I'm wrong, but I can't, I mean, we don't even know because he's only
1: done it in one game. And I I do think, Dustin, your best shot at success this season is throwing it 40-plus times. Like, I I don't think you're going to be able to run the ball well enough throughout the remainder of the season to be able to score enough points to not have to throw it that much. Like, I think Bowman, you know, he may just end up being what he is, right? He may be somewhat inaccurate, throws off his back foot, and we may look back on this season and call him back foot Bowman. That, that just may be what happens, but we haven't had enough time to be able to make that distinction. And so what I also hated about the three-quarterback rotation, I tweeted this, I, I, I saw barely any of this game live, but I saw enough to be able to check Twitter and see after one mistake, you've got people saying, he's not the guy, he sucks, he's terrible, and it's completely unfair. I mean, it's just yeah. completely out of bounds because of everything we've already said. So I'll I'll leave that that point in the dust. But I just it, the whole thing still boggles my mind. Yeah, and
0: you know, just kind of comparing the other quarterbacks in this game. You know, Rangel. It would have been on the road against Iowa State. I'm not saying he would have done bad. I like Rangel, but I it'd be tough for me to say he'd go in there and have a great game. And then Gunner Gundy. Yeah, with the way Iowa State plays defense, I don't think he would have been able to scramble, and they would have schemed it up to not let him. I don't so think he makes conf- the
1: progressions that Bowman does,
0: right? So then you're confusing him off the snap, and he probably doesn't have the open lanes to scramble. I just, I don't think anybody would have done great in this game after having the QB rotation. But to your point on the progressions, the ollie, I c- I counted that ollie catch or incompletion as a drop. There were no drops by the wide receivers. And that one probably did. It's probably a little bit much for me to count it as a drop, but I think Ollie could have caught that knowing Ollie PFF didn't count it as a drop, but on that play, third and five, six play of the game. He takes the snap looks left for Bray on the deep ball. Sees the safety sitting on top and he sees Tampa, the Iowa state cornerback in tight coverage. Then he looks at BP on the out route, but he sees the overhang linebackers there. He probably could have tried to force it there, but if you don't throw a great pass and you throw it a little inside, that linebacker's picking it off, taking it for six. Comes back to the middle of the field where there was a switch release on the field side between Stribling and Blaine Green. Stribling gets knocked off his route, which we'll talk about the receivers in a little bit, but I I actually thought Stribling did a pretty good job route running. He got knocked off his route here. Probably probably could make the throw to Blaine Green in traffic. But Cooper, Jeremiah Cooper, their safety is right there. So he decides to leave the pocket because it's been about three seconds, which, you know, I said internal clock, 2.7, three seconds. Sees Ollie, makes a throw on the run to give Ollie a chance. Going through that progression, I just, I can't even remember, like Spencer Sanders doing that very many times. And I'm not saying... Alan Bowman is better than Spencer Sanders. But what I'm saying is that's the part of the game that Alan Bowman brings that I don't think another quarterback on this roster brings right now. And I know he's 48% completion. I think he left the pocket too early at times. I think he threw it away a few times when he probably could have tried to make a throw. But just that sixth play of the game progression in his sixth game in his first ever true full game start, I thought, you know, that made me think, hey, let's ride this out for a couple of games with Bowman
1: and see what he can do. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, I I think you'll see a game again. I'm I'm looking ahead in the schedule. Like the secondaries are about to soften up like Kansas, West Virginia, Cincinnati. You should be able to see some, some guys running open in games like that. And I I just like going back to the South Alabama game. You didn't, if that was, if this is what your offense is, right that didn't look anything like this. And we're kind of going off of a, a still a bit of a gut feel because you've seen varying game plans game by game by game. Like, I I think if the offense looks like that, I feel decently optimistic about their chances to to rattle off a few wins, especially at home. So, you know, Dustin, for me, I think Bowman, I, I was pretty even a dead set on this i mean i I said at times like Rangel. i think his mobility gives you something but the pass protection was was really so good against iowa state that you may not need it if if you've got three seconds to get the ball off i don't know how mobile you need to be and your receivers if they can get you some separation not slip i I think this could look better than even we saw on on saturday yeah and and i think you know
0: Brendan presley obviously needs more targets but we talk about the progressions, and I, I'm going through that one play, but even if you look at the target breakout, Blaine Green, seven targets, Jaden Bray, five targets, Ollie Gordon, eight targets, Dejon Stribling, ten targets, Braden Presley, six targets, and then he targeted Josiah Johnson three times. The split and the amount of, tar- and not even counting Owens in there as well and Nixon, the amount of times he targeted different guys and was trying to find the gaps in the zones, go to the check down. He's the only quarterback so far that's even really gotten Blaine green over the middle incorporated into the game. And you talked about it last week, you know, throwing the ball into the middle of the field where you can find some gaps in the zone. That's something that, again, I'm not trying to compare him to Spencer Sanders, but you had mentioned this in a previous pod. We didn't go over the middle of the field very much. And you know, that's some due to route concepts and some due to comfortability, and Bowman felt comfortable throwing that mesh sit. I think he completed it four times. So it's in, he had some bad throws. I that incompletion to Stribling. There was a throw. There were a couple of throwaways that looked like bad throws. There was one to Johnson, and there was one to Presley that I think he was actually throwing the ball away, and they just looked like really really bad throws. But you know he he can't miss on those deep balls. He's got to hit the deep balls, and if he can't do that. And he, you know, and he throws two interceptions every game. Then you could talk me into yeah, yeah, trying Rangel out, getting him some reps there. And if, and you know, if it go down the season and I'm not, I don't think this will happen, but if you have no chance of making a bowl game later in the season, completely fine putting a younger guy in there. Cause you're not going to have the 15 bowl practices to prep with, to be, make a bowl game. So I'm completely fine giving one of the younger guys some run. But I don't think, and and kind of just to wrap up my takes on him, I don't think there's any reason to move into K-State and think that Alan Bowman shouldn't be given another shot at the starting quarterback position. Because yeah. he already looked better than the 57%
1: of snaps that Gunnar Gundy had
0: in the past No game. question.
1: No, no real question in my mind. I, I, he was not great. He was slightly above average, especially for Oklahoma State football. But, I mean... I think he, I think, I really do think he's going to have a game here soon where you see kind of that explosive downfield ability. Like if you hit two more deep throws, now he's throwing for 360. And it's, you know, maybe those pit, one of those picks doesn't happen. And now you're starting to talk about a a totally different look offensively. I think they're just close. They need a little more time. And we may, I may look up at, you know, Bedlam. And still we were saying this and I'll be, I'll be happy to say I'm wrong then, but damn, you do not make a change based on Saturday at all. If anything, I do feel vindicated about my, you know, steadfast support of Alan Bowman after that.
0: Yeah. And, and again, you and I both like Garrett Rangel. So if I don't think you give Bowman a humongously long leash but also there's no way you pull him after
1: that performance. I think Rangel got screwed by the whole thing. But I, I think Bowman is your is right now good enough to win you games. He was good enough to win this game on Saturday. I think if you leave him in the game against South Alabama, probably was good enough to at least score more than seven points in that game. So uh yeah. and I, I think that Rangel was the was the the one guy that got screwed the most out of this. And it's not his fault.
0: All right, wrapping up the offense with receivers, tight ends, and we, kid. I think we can skip fullbacks. They got a combined seven snaps from Cassidy and Schultz. Schultz only got one, so Cassidy had one really nice block on his very first play in the game. On his, it was on Ollie's big run. He sealed. Oh yeah, the guy off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So loved, loved that block from Cassidy. I, I'm fine with the tight end out there because I thought Josiah Johnson played really good. We can get to him in a minute. Starting with the receivers, let's go in order of who had the most yards or most catches. So Blaine Green, six catches for 58 yards, seven targets. I thought, Cade, the reason why you put Blaine Green out there is because he has good hands and he's the best blocking wide receiver on the team. I've mentioned it last game, but he hasn't had a ton of snaps. I mean, they moved him to Cowboy back in, right. a pr- in prior years because he could block. He looked awesome blocking on the Alan Bowman touchdown, they were kind of using him in a type of crackback block on some of those inside zone runs so Ollie could bust them to the outside. He had a great block on Ollie's big run, which I just talked about Cassidy having a good block there as well. I thought he did a good job of sitting in the zone defense and making some of those catches. He was okay as a check down. There was a third and three where he's got to get... It was when Oklahoma State kicked the long field goal from Alex Hale. I think he's got to get a little bit farther upfield. I think that play is designed to be near the line of scrimmage so the wide receivers can kind of block, you know. But he's still got to take that upfield quicker or not get as close to the sideline because he kind of screwed them out of that first down and then they have to kick the field goal there. My one critique of Blaine, though, I thought he had a great game besides this one play. I'd probably give him a great grade. It was his fault on the, and Bowman should not have thrown the ball over there. That was a bad pick, but the Josiah Johnson pick Blaine green brings two more defenders to Johnson Yeah, and all of those safeties and D and linebacker had bit on the play action fake. Right. Until Blaine green runs right at Josiah Johnson and brings everybody there. Bowman probably waits a little bit too long to throw it. He probably, he, Definitely, it was probably his worst, one of his worst throws of the day. And he had a few bad ones, several bad ones, actually. we we'll talk about it. But <laughs> even though Bo Freeler kind of gets on Josiah Johnson before the ball's there, and it probably could have been called pass interference, which there wasn't a single pass interference called in this game on either side, which is kind of crazy. I, that was Blaine Green, caused that to be an issue. Yeah. Even if Bowman shouldn't have thrown it thrown it there and I think that was just a mental lapse by him according to Robert Allen who talked
1: to the staff and to the players about that play yeah I mean it it was very obvious in the play that somebody was not where they were supposed to be and I'm I'm thankful that we have some clarity on that because if you don't go back and watch it you could very easily just kind of disregard that and put it on Bowman when yes he should not have made the throw but you've got to, I mean, he, Blaine Green's a junior. Like he he can't be doing stuff like that. He's he's got to be a little bit smarter in his role, even if he's not the one catching the ball, to not pull the, you know, middle of the defense over to where the route, the deceptive route is leaking out to. And especially when you go under center. Like, what did you say? Six percent of the plays they went under center. So yeah. this was one that they had dialed up. And it was it was I like there. the play. I like to play too. It was there, but Bowman was late and yet your experienced receiver runs the wrong, you know, really kind of just makes a, a fool on that play. So pretty frustrating, but overall, like I think Blaine unlocks a lot. And I think one of the things that you lost with him in 2022 was that next possession receiver on the inside like john paul was that and i think you missed john paul in a game like this right uh just a chain mover but i think blaine green like with six catches for 58 yards he's he's slotted into that nicely he's just a different type of receiver he's not as a nimble fleet of foot so he's not going to run those type of routes he's not going to be running over the middle of the defense stressing them that way but I, i think he had a good game overall
0: yeah, I, I agree, and that was someone we've been kind of critical of moving into this game, so I wanted to give him his flowers there. Yeah. Jaden Bray, four catches, 55 yards. He's so good on the curl route. It uh, He can get separation one-on-one on that curl, the hitch, quick slants. I think his issue is just when he's having to run routes into zone coverage with safeties over the top – he's struggling to kind of find space quick enough for Bowman to see him. Yeah. But I also think that's a little bit on Casey Dunn with some of the route concepts and he mentioned Iowa State running that kind of two man under it it's like a zone with match principles where they always have the safeties deep and it kind of looks like man underneath. He knows Iowa State's going to do that and right. they probably did a little bit more in this game than they normally do. They they like to do that cover 2, Tampa 2 more where it's like a true zone but if he knows that then I I just why keep running the vertical routes into it I get you kind of have to mix things up and I I love that they were taking some deep shots I don't want to be too critical there but I don't want to just bash Bray for not being able to get open there I also think he got held on that deep ball by Tampa they never showed a replay but Bray freaked out, wanting a flag after that. You know the one I'm talking about, where he kind of streaked I, up the middle and Bowman I don't. threw it like way over his head off. Oh Bowman yeah, threw yeah, it yeah, way over his head off his back foot. It, it probably wouldn't have been completed because it was a bad throw from Bowman. But Tampa, I'm pretty sure, grabbed him because if you watch the beginning of the play, Bray beat him. Yep. And then they don't show. They pan to it, and Bray's freaking out, throwing his arms in the air. So I I did want to call, I hate, you know, calling out the refs, but I I do think that was kind of a big play there. And again, they didn't call a pass interference all game. He, and I thought like overall,
1: he wasn't amazing, wasn't bad or anything from Bray. Yeah, I I would agree. I, I actually thought, you know, he's, he's really good on those underneath routes. And I think when he's going deep, you know, he's been a vertical threat most of his career, but I think he's pretty underrated in some of those stick, hitch routes, like he he does a really good job of breaking that off pretty quickly. I don't want him to be relegated to that. I think he's too dynamic, but, you know, ultimately he's, I'd like to see him factor in more. I'd like to see him with, with more of an impact in a game like this. And this is, you know, now four games in a row where it's just kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to see it. Yeah. Um, Stripling, three catches for 60 yards. He had 10
0: targets though. I do think on that, turnover-worthy play where Bo Freeler almost picked it off. Stribbling had enough time to try to come back to the ball. I don't think he knew Freeler was right there. I'd like to see a little bit more fight there, but other than that, Stribling was torching Miles Purchase yep. when he yep. was on him. Every single time he was getting behind him to the point where I thought they were going to just start switching Tampa onto Stribbling because it was getting to the point where he was beating him almost every play and Bowman just I mean, he just missed him on what three? At yeah, least three. three deep balls where Stribling had one step, if not much more, on purchase. So that just kind of reiterates that Stribling is awesome at getting separation in man coverage.
1: No, no question. I, I think you clearly missed him last week. As you know, I think you did struggle to get some separation this week. Stribling's just—he's clearly your you know best option on the perimeter. We we thought that would be the case. I I think in a game like that where yes he dominated his man one on one three catches for 60 yards i I think you probably would want more targets to a guy like that if you're throwing it forty eight times three catches to to maybe your best perimeter option that well he had ten targets ten targets is fine three catches let me just be more specific three Roland catches was missing him yeah that's just not good enough
0: yeah no I, I agree and it was not I get your point. It wasn't on Stribling. No, no, like the, not at all. Catch percentage. Not at all. So, uh, Owens loved the route on the corner. I guess apparently he told Alan Bowman, he could beat purchase on that route. And so they were
1: saving. everybody's beaten purchase. Yes.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> I think that that's who was on him. I don't think it was tamp on that one, but basically Owens told Bowman, Hey, if, at some point we need to run a corner route and I can beat this guy to the corner. And they saved it for that play. It was awesome. Great throw. One of a, a really good throw there from Bowman. It's like he had these really bad throws and he had somewhere. I was like, wow, that was a great throw. Uh, not a ton of snaps from him. Shetron, not very many snaps. I think he's got to break that route off on that um, last interception. I think he had a step on Tampa risky throw from Bowman throwing it that Tampa there. It's fourth down. Shetron's got to make a I I think it was a little lazy, I thought, from Shetron, but I don't really have a ton of him. He had a good block on the Bowman touchdown. And then lastly, Presley, I, I just think he might be too small of a guy to find in that kind of packed zone coverage. So you have got to find ways to get him the ball, if that's yeah. the case. If you see in the first half that Bowman's not able to see him because of the pressure and because Presley's a shorter guy and because Iowa State's kind of, drop eight in the middle of the field then then figure out other ways to get him the ball
1: well that's that's kind of the thing like you know there's there's bubble screens there's jet sweeps there's you know some of those attack screens tunnels what i mean there's there's ways to do it um I, i think that he's just not been fully realized yet like i i think we've seen some experimenting in the backfield with him but there doesn't appear to be a concerted effort to get him the ball. And I think that's, what's most concerning to me is like, you would think that there would be right. With, with a guy of that with that open field talent. And I just, I, I have not seen it yet this season.
0: Yeah. Even if it's giving him carries, you got to get him the ball early, get him some confidence. And then maybe he's able to get open a little bit more, but overall, I thought the receivers still need to do a little bit better job getting open. But I, I think they were kind of at a disadvantage with some of these route concepts, some of Bowman maybe wanting to throw it away rather than force it. And Iowa State's defensive backs being some of the best in the Big Twelve. So kind of all that to say. The only note that I had, Kate, on tight ends and fullbacks, because we mentioned Cassie didn't play many snaps. Stewart, not great blocking from in, in his limited snaps. So that's my guy right there. I'm gonna give him a pass this game. I wanted to just say Josiah Johnson blocking wise, best game of the season. And yep the intensity that he's putting into blocks since the Arizona, since that bad first UCA game where he got kind of pushed around has been awesome. And I think that's why he's getting so many snaps because he's blocking probably just as good as a Cassidy would out there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think what's cool about that is we talked about Josiah Johnson and the way he struggled. Right. And the, the need for him like if he's gonna get on the field and be a you know somewhat of a um not he's not a gadget because he's a tight end but it's something that you don't really have like you're not gonna throw Cassidy out there as a receiving threat the way you could with Johnson so if Johnson wants to play he's got to block better and it has been progressively better each and every week since we initially talked about this to the point where it doesn't really even like worry me anymore like I clearly think he took it to heart got on the sled and and he looks a lot better and i think what you said the way he plays there were several runs where I, I i think that he was a factor in some of that as well so um he'll be somebody to keep an eye on as this season grows and you know if this ends up being a six win season my my focus will shift less to the the big names and more to the guys like that, like what what is that position bringing you in a season like this? I I I'm very interested to see what they oh, do yeah. long term. Completely agree. Yeah, you, you mentioned it, the ISO run on third down, that was like
0: straight up Oklahoma drill, and he beat the linebacker there, and Ollie was able to get the first down. The twelve yard inside zone where he kind of inserted inside into that B gap and blocked up field. He sprung that run. So you're right. I, I mean, I think that. I think it was a really good game blocking-wise from Johnson. Kate. that puts a bow on the offense
1: for me, unless you have anything different. I think we can move to the defense. No, I think we can go ahead and do that. Dustin, before we do that, let's hear a quick word from a couple of our sponsors. It's a good time to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season. So be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs and especially your Oklahoma State needs. Shop today at charliehustle.com, Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. And when you shop with them, use our promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. We appreciate Charlie Hustle's support of the podcast, and we'll send it to a word from our friends at Classic Overland. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience and in addition if you purchase a classic overland defender and mention this podcast the feels like 45 podcast their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the pokes with a purpose nil collective to learn more you can visit their website classicoverland.com and you can contact luke and robert at robert at classicoverland.com thank you go pokes All right, Dustin, let's get into the defense. I've been excited to talk with you about this because I, I think it it was much more like almost like a role reversal. We were so confused through the first three games by the offense. What in the world are they doing with three quarterbacks? I feel a little bit like what in the world were they doing defensively in, in this game? Dustin, do you feel the same way? Yeah,
0: Cade, I, you know, I was talking to our guy, Adam Lunt, and he actually pointed this out to me before I had a chance to re-watch the defense. So shout out to Adam for basically making my brain think one thing. And, you know, I, I do my best to try to prove Adam wrong whenever I can, but it doesn't normally work. And he was, he was right on this, and you and I talked about it as well. Oklahoma State went into this game defensive schematically, scheme-wise, against a team that hasn't been able to run the ball very well, who's had guys like Eli Sanders banged up, Kater- or Cartavious Norton got banged up after like five snaps in this game. They lost your real block, b- Brock, going into the season. They lost their starting left tackle. They lost their starting tight end. They have not been able to run the ball. And Oklahoma State went in to what it looked like to me on film and kind of talking to Lunt and you, you guys feel similar, trying to take away the run, adding an extra guy in the box, whether that be the weak side linebacker, the Sam linebacker playing them up in kind of what looked like a four-man front from the Jim Knowles era or bringing Kendall Daniels into the box, creeping Cam Epps as the field safety down, creeping Trey Rucker down as the boundary safety into the box pre-snap. And what ended up happening is they dominated against the run. 2.2 yards per carry, that's including the kneel, if you take away their two big runs, which you know we talked about taking away Ollie's run, they ran for like 1.6 yards per carry on 30 attempts, taking out those two big runs. But in turn, what that did is it gave man coverage and sometimes even man free with no safety over the top with some really young defensive backs out there like a DJ McKinney who I thought still played pretty well, a Cam Epps, a Trey Rucker who hasn't been playing a ton, a Kendall Daniels who's in a new spot in the defensive backfield, not to mention the slipping that was going on. And they got exposed, and there were several busts. Rucker's playing a position for Lyric Rawls at boundary safety, which he doesn't normally play. He'd been field safety in every game leading up to this. Cam Epps is playing there. He's barely played any snaps at all in college. And these guys are busting coverage or not being aggressive enough in coverage, like we saw Cam Epps get targeted nine times, according to PFF, and it may have actually been more than that. and And I just didn't understand when you're going against the guy who Rocco Becked. You and I, I thought he played really well in this game. He got the ball too. away sometimes when he was getting tackled and completed it. But this is a guy who I've seen on film not look very good. And if you sit back and zone. And are able to hold them to, you know, like you mentioned to me off air, maybe three, 3.2 yards per carry, but make them try to dink and dunk and not have any bust deep. I think Rocco Beck has a one or two in the interception column
1: and you win this football game. Yeah, I just I don't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like Iowa State already has like the last season. They were terrible running the football this season. They've been terrible running the football. And your plan was to make sure they stay terrible running the football, which they might have just taken care of on their own. And you could have retained an extra body to dedicate to a guy that you didn't necessarily expect that you had to like props to Rocco Beck for, for playing really like an impressive game. There were a few throws yeah, that were like, about wow, throws like he's, yeah. he's going to end up being pretty good. I think, I, I don't think he's as, uh, dynamic as a Brock Purdy but I think he may be like I, I think he may end up being a player like that in the next four years but you basically gave him an out when the running game was likely going to struggle anyway so like is is the difference between what was it Dustin would you say 1.8 yards per carry is the difference between 1.8 yards per carry and and three that different in the grand scheme of things, if you dedicate another body to the pass, is it really that different? I I don't think so.
0: No, I agree with you, and and it it shows in the number of explosive plays they had. Eight passing plays go for fifteen or more yards, and only two rushes go for more than nine yards. And they rushed the ball, not counting the kneels, thirty-two times. So it was just you know, the thing is, Cade, when you look back at the game too. I thought the defensive line, the three guys up front yep. held their own yep. without the extra guy in the box. We'll get into them player by player, but you look, you look at the stats at the end of the game and you see no sacks and only two QB hurries. I went back and watched and the defense again, after my initial rewatch and charted QB hurries, I had four QB hurries and I had five other times where Rocco Beck was either hit as he was throwing it and completed the pass or hit so quick after that they didn't call roughing the passer. So that could have been another five QB hurries. One of the times Colin Oliver is literally holding on to him and he somehow gets the ball, like tackling him and he somehow gets the ball out and throws it. And I'm not even counting the Colin Oliver almost targeting in that five. So that's, I mean, that's a possible like nine QB hurries right there. So that zero sacks and two QB hurries that you see on the internet is probably one of the most misleading stats of any Oklahoma State game this year. I thought they got pressure on Beck. They blitzed actually quite a bit too compared to what we've seen from them this year. It was just the fact that they had man coverage and busts. And yeah. Beck was able to take advantage of it with the what I said, like eight, 15 plus passing plays. And Kate, okay, this is two games now where the slot receiver has gone off in Jalen Null in this game and Cullen Lacey last game, the past two games, the guy who has led in snaps at the slot position for each team has caught 13 passes for
1: 250 yards in a two-game span. And it's, you know, back to give you some flowers. You called, not necessarily that teams would have that success, but that it was something you were concerned about as okay if you go to 335 who covers the slot and how well the blueprint is out I mean unless Oklahoma State does something to to fix that the blueprint is out because I mean Trey Rucker now has been exposed in multiple games Cam Epps now if Lyric Rawls is out for any extended period of time I I think that you're going to see a lot more of that I think he'll play better on his home field after a bye week especially if he's getting the majority of the reps but Dustin, I mean, I know we're not getting to the safeties first, but that that's the story over the last two weeks of the defense for me. The secondary, and specifically that safety covering the slot has has gotten exposed. And they've got to do something to figure that out. And if it's a personnel thing, then you're in trouble because they're not going to change what they do. They're not going to make a fundamental fix to that. It will be 12 games of that if if this is if this is what they choose to do.
0: Yeah. A little bit on the snap count. So it's the first time we've seen Parker Robertson, who we shouted out as our special teams player of the game early in the season, the walk on safety. He spelled Cam Epps for a little bit at field safety. We saw Cale Smith come in and play what Jim Knowles called the strike position or a nickel back. And it was a true nickel corner position as he was following the slot receiver around in man coverage. In motion, so you know that he was specifically the nickel guy guarding the slot, which is one way you know you can kind of combat slot receivers. It's the most snaps for Cam Epps by a lot, and it's the first time Kendall Daniels has played a hundred percent of the snaps this season. We saw, we've seen Ty Williams come in, and then we also saw Oklahoma State use some formations where they took Kendall Daniels off the field and used five defensive linemen and four linebackers. So not so much that he's been subbed out a bunch, but just that they've done some different things. They went to their odd front. 87% of the time against South Alabama, it was up to 90% against Iowa State. So not as much even front in this game. And like I said, there was a lot of press coverage in this game. We hadn't seen as much press coverage from the corners up tight on the receivers as we did in this game all year. And it was just, it was really interesting. I mentioned also Rucker was playing a little out of position, playing the boundary or short side safety. But overall, I, I still love Nardo. He's obviously a brand new hire. I'm not saying I think he's a bad hire or anything, but I didn't understand the game plan, and it almost felt like he was outsmarting himself a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's my takeaway as well. I, I think you know the way opposing teams attack Oklahoma State, it, it almost felt like for so many years that they're like, Okay, you're going to struggle to run or you're going to struggle to throw the ball. So we're going to stack the box and make you throw it. You know what I mean? Like in those like 2019 to 21 years, that's what was happening was they defenses were basically playing to Oklahoma State's weakness. It felt like Oklahoma State in this game (laughs) played to their strength in a way, which is just a little bit confusing.
0: Yeah, it's a great point from you, Caden. It's almost like Oklahoma State is scheming too much for teams and not making teams scheme for their defense. Right, that's exactly
1: it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Is that shocking? Like That's that's kind of what they do across the board, is it not? Take what the defense gives you. We're going to run our stuff defensively. This is a philosophy.
0: It seems like Nardo's still trying to kind of get his feet under him, which is completely understandable. First big 12 game on the road, two games in a row now. I haven't really loved what they've done schematically, except in the first game, they made some pretty nice adjustments at halftime. This game, they kind of kept with it for most of the game. It was a little confusing, but the thing is, Cade, this may have been the best run defended game, even without the guy in the box, Nardo mentioned it after game, the run fits, where guys are supposed to go and attack the run, their lanes were perfect almost every single time. It, it was really, really fun to watch, except that touchdown run. Xavier Ross got sealed off, and there was a bad angle from a couple of the guys. But other than that, not many miscues on the day. Just speaking of the defensive line, I thought Goodlow showed why he was a huge get out of the transfer portal in this game. I know there was a first and 10, I think it was like the seventh play for Iowa State. He sets the edge, funnels the run back inside. Clay, Colin Clay took out two guys on that play. And then Martin is just easily able to make the play because nobody can block the linebacker there. I just, Goodlow's motor never stops. I thought he got sealed once late in the second quarter. But other than that, I thought he was pretty dominant. And he had a huge tackle on third down where he dominated Boniface their center who I thought you know Kate he was a guy I said to watch for possibly struggling he struggled pretty much all day against Oklahoma State and I don't think Iowa State's offensive line is very good and I think Oklahoma State's defensive line dominated them for most of the day which is why I'm so confused on the game plan but I thought Goodlow was great
1: yeah he he did pop I thought this was his best game as a Cowboy so far and several of the plays that I noticed him on We're going at the center (laughs) and going straight at Boniface and almost like it was, it's not like you can pancake an offensive lineman, but it's all, it's a little bit like that. So I, I thought he was great. Totally agree with you. Walter Scheid getting his
0: highest percentage of snaps of the season, 54%. I thought he was awesome too. Yep. And again, I think this Iowa state offensive line is not very good, but Walter Scheid had a solid game. He had a nice play on third down. It was right before that fourth down touchdown, but he shrugged off the tight end and made the tackle himself. So it was really good. Latou, Latou was almost unblockable by this Iowa State offensive line. How many times did he swim move by a guy? And it seemed like he was like
1: moving through a piece of paper. And then like, there were several times where Rocco Becht had got the ball out quickly, but Latou was you know, getting to the point where he was going to be unblocked. Like he, he had made that move. I I got it multiple times where he's kind of standing up right in front of Rocco Beck, and he just hasn't gotten there yet, but I thought he had a good game as well.
0: Yeah. His he, talk about motor never stopping. He's always fighting. I think he had, he had one hit on Beck where it wasn't roughing the passer, but he actually was able to hit him as he was throwing. And it didn't look like it felt very good. The offsides on that third and 10, Mm. and then Iowa State completes it, that was probably my big kind of blemish on the game for him is it was third and 10, and it's third and five, and they completed like a seven-yard pass, I think. So there was also – he was holding Beck's leg in the third quarter, and Beck still got the pass off. Beck was making some very crazy throws off balance. So um, Xavier Ross, not a ton of snaps. Might have been his worst game. I thought he got washed out of the play a few times. He got destroyed on that fourth quarter touchdown run. I, you know, he's the energy guy and I I don't know if he had it this game, but you know, everybody has off games. He's been fun to watch every game coming into this one. And then Deshaun Brown and Jaleel Johnson, not a ton of snaps. So I didn't have a ton of notes on them. I think Johnson only had like six snaps.
1: Yeah. I just overall the performance of the defensive line, as we've said, and we'll, we'll try not to beat this dead horse, but it's, it, you would have hoped to see some sort of in-game adjustment that said okay we may not need that guy in in the on the line or in the box you you could you could let's see what it looks like right and that that adjustment never came
0: yeah the nose tackles were great i yeah. thought there were so many times where you could clip on film where they're taking up two offensive linemen so the linebacker can have a free run kirkland the fifth play of the game he gets awesome penetration off the off the snap and this is the tackle I think it would have been like a two-yard loss he ended up having a tackle for loss I believe later he almost got a sack too with yeah. like three minutes left in the second quarter he got into Beck's face and Beck was able to get the pass off but it was a bad throw incomplete that's one of the hurries that I counted that I don't think the stat broadcaster ESPN had counted but I thought Kirkland was awesome he he knocked Norton out of the game too I mean yeah. I'm not like celebrating that but he ran down Norton on the perimeter and just squished him yeah and it looked so painful
1: literally the announcer called it out is like I think Kirkland just straight up landed on Norton and I think that's exactly what happened
0: he never came back in
1: I I didn't notice that but that's that's wild hopefully he's all right yeah
0: and then clay I, I know I said clay had a good game last game I thought he had an even better game this game he's kind of getting that meanness and nasty that Kirkland has and he's He's playing really well. He actually had a higher percentage of the snaps this game than Kirkland, and I think it was because he was playing so well. He yeah. almost got to the quarterback, too, a couple times.
1: Yeah. yeah, 100%. I They were really good. They were all mostly pretty good. I, I, I'm i just frustrated that that adjustment never happened.
0: And, Cade, I'm going to keep – you know, you're letting a bad offense like Iowa State, a really bad offense with a really bad offensive line, score 34 points on you. And I think we were just really positive about a one whole position group. And I'm about to do it again because Nick Martin and Colin Oliver were awesome. I thought they were really, really good again. And you, you can tell me it's orange Kool-Aid, but go back and send me clips of them getting washed out of the play. And I promise you it was not very many times.
1: Yeah. I mean, no question. I I thought Nick Martin For me, like, again, Iowa State doesn't run the ball well, but for me was like, okay, maybe a better solution there than I had originally thought, even after a couple of games. He's a great tackler. Like he's if he's in the play, he's a pretty sure tackler. And I think that's probably what the coaching staff noticed. High motor. He always is going. Um, I think you can overcome some lack of size with the athleticism he has and his, his tackling ability. And Oliver is lucky he didn't get thrown out of the game for targeting, which I mean, yes, yeah, that like, wasn't smart. I can't actually believe that in 2023 that that doesn't get called, reviewed and therefore flagged. It's pretty clear targeting, but I thought he had a great game as well. No, we're not to the secondary yet, but that's that's where the defense was getting crushed. I mean, 348 passing yards for a guy that has not ever had a game like that, maybe at any level is is. Hard to swallow for me.
0: Well, and I think the Oliver uh, almost targeting was purely frust- frust- frustration-based at that point mm-hmm. because they had almost set... I- I'm serious. There was n- nine plays where I think he should have been sacked.
1: Yeah, I mean, nine. he has a quick release. He really does. He gets the ball out. And there, were, there was a play in the first quarter, I think it was their second drive, where he's getting crushed. And he throws one to a crossing route. I think it's to Jalen Knoll, 25 yards on a rope. It's just a day like that for the defense. It's like you yeah. you just you were there, but you were never there. If you get a couple of those sacks also, I think
0: it makes the defensive backs look a little bit better. But hey, back to Martin real quick. The second I think it's the second drive of the game is where I have these notes from. I think he made every tackle on that drive mm. or was in on all three tackles. And he had great pressure on the flea flicker that Iowa State tried to run early. He threw Boniface. I feel so bad for Boniface, and I think I might be saying his name wrong, but he threw him to the ground <laughs> twice, I counted, when Boniface tried to get up to the second level and block him. Martin literally grabbed him and threw him onto the ground, like body slam style. Uh, he had a nice tackle on the miss tackle early that I talked about from Kirkland. I thought he looked good in coverage. Martin was dropping into the zone and made a couple of nice plays in coverage. He did get washed really badly once in the first quarter, but that's the one where Kirkland squished Norton. So Kirkland kind of saved him there and Iowa state's left tackle, James Neal tried to block Martin on a third down before the fourth down touchdown play. And he just shrugged it off and made the play. It it was like, he was unblockable in this game. And, I think you also have to mention that Iowa State's offensive line is bad, and I'm going to continue to mention that. I
1: think I've done it like three times. Yeah,
0: 100%. (laughs) Uh, Colin Oliver, he had one mishap in coverage, but I thought he looked pretty good there too. Man, he he looks like he's been playing line. After these past two and a half games, probably like halfway through the Arizona State game, it looks like he's been playing linebacker since he was five
1: years old. Yeah, I mean, when he can get downhill, I mean, he's a freak from that second level, and his his ability to cover is much better. I was worried after the first, what did you say, two and a half games? So I was worried after the first game and a half that he was going to be lost as a linebacker. And as we started to see some of the scheme open up, that's not the case. I, I think he's very clearly a focal point in this. He's just got it. You know, it's not like you can make the quarterback hang on to the ball, but Beck didn't do that. I mean, so you credit to him and move on, but frankly, you've got to have better coverage from the secondary, and you probably walk away from this game with many more sacks if you've just got a split second more to make the quarterback think about it. And
0: if if Oklahoma State went to their even front and had him as a true Leo edge rusher, Iowa State was giving extra help to that side. They were yep. not going to let Colin Oliver beat them. So I would love to see it more. But in this game, Iowa State was scheming against that. They were sending a tight end over there, sending a running back at him along with the tackle. So that was pretty interesting to see. The other linebackers didn't play a ton. Robertson, I thought he played the RPO well once because he had to come in when Benson got knocked out. But Benson came back in. I thought you know, he had a nice tackle in the third quarter. Wright came out there. I love having him back. He's awesome for depth. He had a great tackle. Then he got washed completely out of the play. Then he had a great tackle, and that was all I really saw from yeah. him, limited snaps. So, and then finally, Cade, I think Xavier Benson actually made a couple plays in yeah. this game.
1: Yeah, So he did. I knew you were going to get there, but he did. I got to give him his credit. There
0: was one, I think I have it down as 13-41 in the second quarter. He sets the edge. Funnels the running back right back into Martin. Perfect run fit from Benson. He had a tackle. I think it still gained four yards. It was late or in the middle of the first quarter, late middle of the first quarter. He tackles for like a four-yard gain, but I think if Benson doesn't dive and make this tackle, it's probably more like an eight, nine-yard gain, and that made it third and four, and I think Oklahoma State got the ball back after that third and four. So he did make a few plays. I'd still like to see him make more. He's still not always around the ball at the end of the play. And I don't know what he's doing, but I definitely think it was better than some of the games
1: we've seen. from him. I, I hope I didn't put that in your head because I mean, it's like if once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's it's, I didn't notice it as much in this game, but I thought it's he played better. It's a little bit like, you know, Pop Warner where, you know, the kid that doesn't want to, and I'm not saying this about Xavier Benson. He's played football at a high level for a long time, but. It's kind of like the kid that doesn't want contact that runs up on the pile at the very end of the play. Like, it's a little bit of that feeling. It's not fair to him. He plays that weak side. That's that's his job is to contain. This was his best game, I thought, of the season.
0: I agree, Jade. I, I think we can move to the defensive backs. Do we have to? Kate, before we get to the negatives, because I think we're about to get pretty negative, and it'll be fair because Cam Epps, again, it's his first game to ever oh, really play. Guy. Corey Black played 97% of the snaps. And myself, I may have missed one. I'm not saying I'm always right, but I didn't have a single target towards him. And neither does PFF. Wow. A single one. They don't throw at this guy anymore.
1: You'd, He's you'd become like to see the cover guy. You'd like to see. Well, I, I won't get to the negative. Corey Black having his best season of his career. I mean, th- this is set multiple games now in a row where that's, that's been they part of throw the case. Yeah. And that's the yeah. mark of a good corner.
0: And it also could be because the slots always open, but Corey, black,
1: Corey black, it's kind of where I was going to awesome. go, but I wanted to give Corey black some credit first, because if that's the case, I mean, I state, they're going into a three, three man, four man. I mean, you, you only got to cover three guys. If that's the case, you got one side of the field taken care of basically, if you just had anything covering that slot, I, I want to know what this defense would look like right now.
0: I mean, Jaden Higgins has been good for Iowa State this year on the outside. Dimitri Stanley, these guys had a total of two catches for 15 yards. It was all tight ends, slot receivers, and running backs. And Daniel Jackson, who lined up in the slot multiple times, had six catches for 90 to go along with Noel. He'd my only take on Cam Smith, not a ton from him. I have no idea. I watched this play like 300 times. What happened on the deep pass to Noel in the first quarter? He's lined up over him. And then at the snap, there's two receivers to that, to his side. At the snap, he takes the more inside receiver and has his back to Noel, who's running a go. Rucker and Oliver both come down to the flat and Kendall Daniels has kind of the deep middle, which there's a guy running that way as well. So Daniels is obviously over there. I, it's almost like Cam Smith didn't see Null. Do you know the play I'm talking about when he just kind of sneaks behind him and they gained like 30 yards?
1: Yeah, I, I do. It it was not good. <laughs> not good at all. I have all. <laughs> no idea
0: what was supposed to happen because even if Rucker would did something wrong there, is he really supposed to have the go from the outside guy all the way from the middle safety position there? I wouldn't, I would not think so. No. I think that's on Cam Smith. Or, or everyone was just confused, which happened multiple times yeah. where multiple guys. The, the bust on Rucker, he thought, from my understanding, he thought it was zone and they well, but, were in man.
1: Even if it's zone, that's your guy.
0: Yeah. No, I, I'm just saying, like I know, I totally get on the Cam Smith one. I don't, I truly don't know what happened on that play, so I'm gonna say it's on Cam Smith, but I really, really don't know. Let's stay negative and let's just go ahead and talk about Cam Epps. So he played quarter cornerback until this spring, so he has a spring, a summer, a fall. Well, summer you can't even play with the ball, work with the ball. So he's got a spring and a fall and then he had what i think the most like 10 12 snaps yeah. coming into this game yeah and he played almost every single snap at safety he played 66 snaps which was 92 percent of the snaps and he got absolutely exposed in the passing game the glance rpo He's nowhere near the slot receiver that scored the touchdown. And I, I saw in Poke's report they wrote an article and not bashing Poke's report that they do a great job. They said, you know, that one was because Cam Epps slipped. He slipped was He was, but he it was 15 yards away from he the was, play. Yeah. And and Kendall Daniels, they South Alabama scored on the exact same RPO play, but Kendall Daniels was even closer and didn't catch him. So Cam yeah. Epps has to drive harder on that. The linebackers have to do a better job of getting their hands up right there. I think it was Benson on that play. He he tried to, but he wasn't really in the throwing lane. He's got to be more aware, but that's all on Epps. There was a throw, a when they're in man coverage. The safeties didn't really help him out here, but Epps just gets absolutely torched on the crosser, just kind of lets the receiver get inside of him. Bad leverage on that play. Big catch there. Multiple RPO throws where he's just not breaking down on the ball fast enough. We saw the same thing happen in the South Alabama game to Trey Rucker in that field safety spot.
1: We also saw Arizona State drop one that was going to be a walk-in touchdown.
0: Yeah, and Cam Epps, he had a couple plays. I think where he was in a good spot, so it wasn't all bad. Made a couple tackles, but he took some bad angles on run plays. I just think he's obviously a work in progress. Lear Crawls, I've heard Didn't make the trip to lower body injury, but it's not serious. I'm hoping he's back for the K-State game. It sounds like he will be, but it makes me worried with this news of the Trey Rucker DUI, which we haven't even really talked about the little bit of a weird situation. So I don't want to talk too much about it because he was still at practice. It says suspicion of DUI. So I don't really know what's going on there, but let's say Rucker's out it's whoever you put out there at safety is probably going to be a work in progress, whether it's Ray Gay, Nick Session, Lardarius Webb or Cam Epps. And I love Cam Epps. He looked awesome at the practice I was at. He's like six, three, he's a monster. But if you have to play a young guy out there, you cannot expect them to excel all game in yep. primarily man coverage.
1: Yeah. There, I mean, there's no question. And additionally, you've got to put some responsibility on the scheme. I mean, th- this has been three games in a row. You got lucky against Arizona State, But this is, well, I mean, Arizona State shoot. They hit you one deep where you busted in in the secondary. Three games in a row where you've had a bust where somebody's ran right past you. and not just or, and you have given up that glance RPO to the house untouched and really nobody knew the play. Like this is, this is a bit of a formula that, that teams are following. If You think K state's not going to do the exact same thing. They are talented in the exact same skill positions that everybody else is. So I, I I have a lot of concern about that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, DJ McKinney had the whiff in press coverage where he gets blown.
1: blown DJ McKinney also had a pick six. If he just looks up, there was a play uh second and eight, like nine minutes left in the third quarter where he's playing the coverage great, but he never sees the ball. And if he did, I mean, it was basically in his lap and he kind of looked down and saw the ball on the ground. It's like, Oh, was that to me? It's like th- that's the youth in the secondary that they've got right now.
0: Rocker didn't, aside from the busted coverage, I don't think he looked as bad as he has in some games at that boundary safety spot. But, hey, that just goes to show you that the field safety spot is difficult. We've seen Rucker get exposed there. We've seen Cam Epps in this past game get exposed there. I thought Rucker, from the boundary side, had some pretty good run fits. He did get destroyed on that touchdown run late in the game. But he had some pretty good run fits. He had the bust. I I didn't think he was very good. He hasn't been great, but you kind of see... Even he's not very experienced. If you got to bring some of these young guys in, you're going to have some of the growing pains that Epps went through. Uh, Kendall Daniels was so much more aggressive and quick to react in this game than he has been all season, and that gave me hope. He still was out of position a few times in pass coverage, but again, like you said, you got to kind of blame some of that on the scheme. I thought the way that he drove on one of those RPO routes late in the game too, on a third and six, holding it to a fourth down was great. The guy went down to a knee, but Daniels was still right there. He wouldn't have gained six yards on that play. He would have gained the two he gained with the knee. I thought I thought Kendall Daniels, great improvement from last game where I thought he had a pretty poor game, but he was reading, reacting well, fitting the run probably better than any safety I've seen in a while. So that was awesome. And then, like I mentioned, Kale Smith got out there for a few snaps. I, I'd be fine having him play that strike nickel corner though, if, if we need that against slot receivers. So tough game from the defensive backfield. I guess the one bright spot of guys who actually got targeted because Corey Blocks just not doesn't even have to do anything. I mean, he is doing stuff, but you know what I mean. You know, Daniel, I thought played well.
1: So I did too. I I you know I it's not a simple game, but I think it is when. It's this is simple when the same thing keeps popping up over and over and over again. It makes it easy to break down on our end. I, I just, you know, I, I hope that you don't look up in this season as, you know, somewhat ruined by, you know, the quarterback mishap in the beginning of the year and a inexperienced secondary. If it's me, I'm I'm pretty aggressive looking at the portal, not just in the offseason, but right now. I mean, you, you have to be thinking long-term if if Nardo's your guy and this isn't a one-year Sean Gleason type of experiment you you don't have the guys I don't think right now for that position and I I don't I don't think it's like long-term you don't have the guys but you you don't have enough to go off of right now like I think even Trey Rucker there was an assumption that he would be ready to go he hadn't played a whole lot I mean he hadn't played a whole lot on the state I, I did too I mean, I, I, it was our shared assumption, but I, I, I haven't seen it. So and um, he hasn't been very good. No, <laughs> no, just point blank has not. But
0: yeah, Cade, I think that kind of wraps it up. A couple just quick notes on special teams, free West Paul. I get that. You don't want Jalen Null returning punts, but you gotta have him punt when you're on your own 16 yard line. I know he shanked one this season, but he's also kicked one like 90 yards in the air. So I I love Hudsoncock. He's he's a great punter. I think he's had some really good punts. But I think in situations like that, you got to have Paul kick. Alex Hale has been amazing. The fifty-three yard field goal basically kind of ignited any chance of comeback that Oklahoma State had. I think he's been an in- incredible, especially with Tanner Brown losing Tanner Brown, who was incredible. He's been great. And then okay, the. the how scared they were of Jalen Knoll returning the ball was yeah. insane to me. They weren't even kicking. They weren't even letting Ward try to kick it into the end zone. He squibbed one and then he kicked one, not squib, but it was to where the second line had to fair catch it. That was astonishing to me.
1: It makes me wonder if they've seen something like is, is like Jalen Noll's a good player, but I mean, he's not like, I don't think explosive returner when I think Jalen Knoll. So like, is there something happening in practice that we don't get to see that they're like, nobody gets to return kicks anymore. Like, you just, and if that's the case, great. But I, I don't know. I don't know that Dude, to be it was like case. Devin Hester was back there. So here's my, here's my last one. And I'll go back to the offense. Jaden Bray with the ball in his hands is really good. Like, I know we've talked about his ability to break off a route, his ability to get vertical, but like, on these some of these mesh routes his ability to sit down in the zone like he's shown some kind of all-around ability as that intermediate level receiver and I, it's not it is a little bit like the way they use justin blackman like i just he's not as physically imposing but you've i think you've got to get him the ball more yeah he needs
0: to be more physical in that fact and and in blocking because he missed a couple blocks as well but i agree with you the shiftiness yeah, of he's industry for a guy. Yeah. Compared to Bryson. I know we've done this comparison a bunch, but the shiftiness of these guys
1: compared to Bryson Green and Braden Johnson from last year is absurd. I think you just got to do something to utilize it. So, anyway, it'll be really interesting to see how things go uh, in the remainder of the year, Dustin. I think the bye week, Mike Gundy says there's never a bad time for a bye week. And I would agree. After two straight losses, this is a good time for it. Hit the reset button. You come back next week against kansas state on a friday night blackout it's sold out i mean it's going to be tough to get right in that game but if you can all of a sudden this starts to look up and the schedule does soften ever so slightly i mean (laughs) if you could even say that with iowa state and south alabama just behind you i just think you have some winnable games in front of you so you know dustin i mean any final thoughts from you on this game
0: We'll see how that looks with Springfield back and Cooper at left tackle and see if the offensive line can get shirt up some. But I I still think now that, you know, you get the K-State game under your belt and you have some games with one true quarterback out there, I still think this team can win some games. So I don't think the season's lost by any means. And I do think it set them back heavily with the quarterback rotation. But I'm optimistic that they can still win some games, but I was
1: definitely wrong about where they'd be at. In this spot, I I thought about cashing out my over six and a half when I was in Kansas, but I didn't do it (laughs) sticking to my guns. It's just going to take off a it's going to take what a six and two. I mean, four and two finish, I said five and three finish, I guess. So, yeah. Anyway, I don't know. It's gonna be tough. Yeah.
0: Well, before we go, Cade, one quick word from our sponsor, Wild Oak Lighting. Appreciate them sponsoring the podcast. Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish Lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about Jellyfish Lighting by checking out the website wildoak-lighting.com or you can follow them on Facebook or follow them on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. Definitely check out their Instagram page. They put a bunch of cool stuff out there. I know to all the listeners that already listen to this podcast that have listened to us before, we've had this ad. They know that I have these lights. I love these lights. I was playing with them last night. My daughter outside checking out some of the cool patterns and stuff they do. She loves them. A great way to keep her entertained so I don't have to talk to her. Just kidding. But Wild Oak Lighting is awesome. The guys are awesome there. Tell them that you know the guys from the Feels Like 45 podcast and they'll probably be even nicer to you. I'm pumped about it for Halloween, Thanksgiving. As we move into Christmas, it makes it so easy to light your house up for any occasion.
1: I mean, I think you could pitch that to them as a marketing campaign. Get the lights. Don't talk to your kids. I love it. Dustin, appreciate it as always. Appreciate our friends at Wild Oak Lighting. Hopefully next week we come back with a little more pep in our step. We see some things happen around the landscape of college football that reignite this. Um, we're This is not unfamiliar territory, though, Dustin. We We rode this wave last year. I'm just ready to get back on that 2021 train because I know I miss breaking down big wins with you. It's just been too long. So, Dustin, appreciate you as always. Fantastic breakdown. If you're not already, you could follow him at Destragoo. You can follow me at Cade Webb, and you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads at Feels Like Forty Five Pod. We will see you guys back here next week. Go pokes.